0: Our final reading is the story of the Magi, or the wise men, out of Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read this, and what I'm going to challenge you to do is to to listen to it, and, and to think of all you know about the wise men, and all we have sung about just now about the wise men. Think about your nativity sets, every picture you've ever seen about the wise men, and then I want you to hear the text and pay particular attention to the stuff that you think the wise men have that is not in the Bible at all. Okay? So let me read the text. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this story, we do have some key elements that we've been singing about. Wise men, a star, Herod, Bethlehem, three gifts coming to worship Jesus. But but what are some of the things that we typically see in a nativity set or in our pictures of wise men that are not there? Well, for one, there's no length of the trip mentioned. The story says we traversed afar. There's no traversing afar here anywhere. There's no camels mentioned. The transportation is not listed at all. They're not called kings. They're called magi, and we're going to look at the meaning of that, but they're never called kings in the entire text. In fact, there's never three of them. If you pay close attention, it just says magi. There's three gifts, but the text never says that there are three men. They're actually just called magi. They're not even called men, which means there could have been some women in the group. Wise men are sometimes given names in songs and in art, but in the story, it's a rather simple story. They're just sort of nameless. So who are these wise men, these magi? And I want to I explore a little bit who they are, and then I want to try to dive into why we made them into kings and gave them names and did a number of other things in your nativity set you may not even realize are going on there. The first thing we should note is that actually... The wise men are not there when the baby Jesus is born. This is another misconception we have. The text is actually very clear on this. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the wise men show up in Jerusalem. Okay, so they don't, they're not there at the same time. And then when they do see Jesus, the word used is not baby, it's actually child. And so we typically celebrate the, season, the, the holiday of Epiphany ten days after Christmas. Okay, Now, so I'm taking a little liberty here to talk about it on Christmas Eve. But, of course, they're in every one of our Christmas songs. And they're in our nativity sets. But they do tend to come, they do actually come somewhere between eight or ten days, maybe up to two years after the birth of Jesus. Now, who are these magi, then? It's probably the biggest mystery of all, because this word magi gets translated a lot of different ways. Wise men astrologers um and and the trick is that this word magi kind of changes usage in ancient greek originally magi were a particular group of people they were these sort of soothsayers wise men they were they were uh they were sort of like gandalf or dumbledore these sort of wise people that helped guide society along that kings looked to for blessing they were very into uh um to prophecies. They were into reading the stars and reading palms and that kind of thing. And then that that word magi is the same word that we get what from? Magic. Magician. Okay. And then eventually the term is sort of used generically for all people that sort of are, are soothsayers or truth tellers or that kind of thing. And then eventually after Matthew, well after the Gospels, Magi becomes a word that's sort of derogatory for anybody who believes in that kind of magic stuff. So the question is, does does, um, Matthew have in mind the particular group called the Magi that were actually uh, around at that time? Or is he using this sort of more generally as as a term for people who believe that kind of thing? And that, that ties into exactly where are these wise men from? See, the Magi got started in a place called Persia. And a lot of our stories of the wise men come assuming that they're from Persia, which is like modern-day Iraq. And to get there from Israel, that's to the east, but you'd actually sort of go north and east and up around. And so in history, tradition says that they're Persian. They have Persian names, and they, and they would have traveled afar. Persians were actually known for traveling on camelback for long periods. But you have noticed the text doesn't say where they're from. So some scholars have actually suggested maybe it's not that far at all, maybe directly to the east of Jerusalem is a place, that the people called the Nabataeans. And they had this land and they had some interest in what was going on in Israel too. Um, they had this great city called Petra. If you've ever seen uh, one of the Indiana Jones movies, they go to Petra for one of the scenes. It's carved in stone, really neat people group. Um, but they're a lot closer they do trade in gold and frankincense and myrrh around this time. We know there were magi there, but if, they, if the wise men were from there, they probably came on horseback because that group of people was riding mainly horseback and it's a much shorter trip by this period. The fact is whether they are, whether Matthew means the, the group of magi or generally magi, or whether they mean, he means that the Persia or he means Nabatea or, or somewhere even further, we can't quite know now, maybe Matthew didn't know, but some scholars have also suggested that these, these wise men may have been um, fugitives, right? They may have made Herod mad, and Herod's kids may have, taken, you know, may have gone after them too. So maybe Matthew knows who they are, but he's actually protecting them. We can't be totally sure. But what we do know is that wherever they're from, these people called the Magi, see some kind of star, They see something that rises in the sky. And I've heard a lot of people try to explain what they saw. Some people say Halley's Comet. I think that's a little too early. Some people say sort of a conjunction or alignment of planets. I'm going to propose a little different solution later. But, But somehow these wise men, wherever they're from, they see something happen in the sky. They read the skies. They read the signs. And they somehow must have Israel's prophecies because they think there's some king born to the Jews. Now it's also interesting here we talk about the wise men following the star but at this point they're not actually following the star. The star is just a sign that a king has been born and so they gather up their, themselves and their stuff and they go to where kings should be born. Where would you expect a king to be born? In the palace where the current king is, right? So they go to Jerusalem. And that's the problem. The problem is they're looking for a king that's born king of the Jews, but there's already a king on that throne, and King Herod does not have much interest in anybody else who's going to take over his throne. Herod was an amazing, he's called Herod the Great because he was such an amazing builder. He built cities, he, he built the temple complex. I mean, just astonishing the stuff that Herod built. But a lot of what Herod built was fortresses, because he was so paranoid that people were out to get him that he wanted to have forts in different locations to be able to escape to. Herod was so paranoid that that he actually had killed one of his wives and two of his own children who he thought were out to get his throne. Guy was kind of crazy. And so when the text says that Herod, when he found this out, was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, That's how it worked. Like, if Herod's terrified, if Herod thinks somebody's after his throne, somebody probably dying, and everybody in Jerusalem gets all worked up about this. So the wise men say, well, if the king is not to be born here, where is the king to be born? And Herod is smart enough to know that there's prophecies about the Messiah. So he says to the the chief priests and scribes, where is the one supposed to be born? And they pull out their Bibles. They look up. And they find Micah chapter 5 that says the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Of course, that's where David was from. So that made a lot of sense symbolically too. So Herod tells them, go and worship the child and then bring word back to me that I may worship the child too. But everybody, that's a lie. We know that's a lie because he eventually goes to try to kill that child. And that is perfectly within the historical record of what Herod was like. And it's always funny to me, though, that here's these priests and scribes, these chief priests and scribes, that they actually hear that these wise men see something that maybe the Messiah is to be born. They look up the information and they tell them to go to Bethlehem, and then none of them go. None of them who actually should be looking for the Messiah go. Just You, you don't think one of us should at least check this out? But no, none of them go. Maybe they're just scared of Herod. Maybe they don't believe in the prophecies. But that says something about the priests and the scribes that they don't even go look to check this out. But the Magi do go. And this is where they start to follow the star because that whatever they had seen in the sky suddenly starts to guide them to Bethlehem, about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And this star ends up guiding them right to the house where Jesus is. That's a little odd for a star to guide you to a house. We'll return to that idea in a moment. They bow down and worship him. Or it actually could be translated, pay homage to him. In other words, part of how you could translate that is that they think a king is being born, so they come and offer gifts of peace to the king that's being born. Okay? This, this happened a lot in the ancient world when a new king was born in Rome, for example, everybody paid tribute. Everybody sent homage to the new king. So they bow and they worship and they give these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, of course, is a valuable metal. It still is to this day. Frankincense is an incense made from a tree resin. It's used in worship. Okay, It's actually burning. It burns in the temple in Jerusalem. Myrrh is another tree resin, it's used for medical purposes, but it also was used predominantly in burial practices. When you buried a body, you would cover it in myrrh to try to keep the smell down so that later you could come and finish the burial process. Now, the meaning of these gifts have been quite a a topic of discussion. Some people have argued that, and I think this is probably that originally for the wise men, they're just good gifts. They're the kind of gifts you would give a king. Gold, okay, frankincense, kind of understanding God's blessing. Myrrh, understanding that perhaps the, the death of your father who was the king before you. But the church has always then picked up on this idea that these symbols are even more than that. They are really symbols of what Christ is all about. Gold, that he's a king. Frankincense, that he's a priest or that he's divine. And myrrh, this recognition that he's going to die. Of course, in hindsight, that's a weird set of gifts for a baby, right? Like some diapers, bottles. I could think of a lot more uh, uh, practical gifts, but symbolically, these are such strong gifts. Then after their visit, they're warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, but to return home by another way. And in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a number of dreams, and it's not spelled out so specifically with the wise men, but every time that Joseph has a dream, it's specifically said that an angel visited him in his dream. So what really happens here is the wise men see angels in their dream that warns them to go a different way. And the story continues as the Holy Family goes fleeing to Egypt and eventually coming back to Israel again with dreams of angels guiding Joseph each time. But for as for the Magi, they're not spoken of again. This is it. They were on the scene, they had their moment, and we never hear from them again. And you can see in the Bible how simple this story actually is. I mean, there's not that much detail to it. So where do all these other things that we put on it come from? Long journeys, camels, kings. Well, it turns out that the early church was super fascinated with this story. They really found it to be a, a pretty amazing and pretty important story. So much so that we have the Magi in very early Christian art. It was often drawn the, the, or carved into catacombs and sarcophagi. I mean, it was part of burial process, processes for early Christians to include this story as a as a prominent thing. So why do they care? Well, I, I think it's because it captures the story so well. So, so the, the early Christians loved this story and they retold it again and again, sometimes, sometimes with sort of fiction and sometimes with sort of expanding and filling in the details. In uh, early Eastern Christianity, especially Syriac churches, there's normally 12 magi. But then, sort of over time, it seems to get settled on three, and eventually the three get named. Because they're sort of a delegation of kings, In some of the legends and some of the stories of the wise men, they're actually, instead of not just working for a king, they're actually described as kings. And so you can see where that pro- progresses from. Over time, the dominant legend becomes that they were kings from Persia, hence the long trip hence riding camels. Our earliest examples of the naming of the wise men, uh, they, there's, they get different names, different traditions, but in a document in Alexandria found about 500 AD, they're given the names of Malkior, Casper, or Gasper, and Balthazar. So if you look at the pictures in your bulletin, okay, inside your bulletin, On the back of where the the poinsettia orders are, you can see different pictures of the wise men. In the middle of the page, there's a painting called the Three Magi. It's a a Byzantine mosaic from around 565. Uh, It's at a basilica in Italy. And you can see the wise men are actually in Persian outfits, complete with kind of these red Persian hats. Can you see that? And uh, they're given names, you can see at the top, Balthazar, Melchior, and Caspar. Um, interesting to note that by this period, one of the legends that's been added to the wise men is that they are of different ages. So look at the picture again. Normally, one of the, one of the wise men is older, with a long white beard. One, so he's, he's about 60, one is about 40, sort of middle-aged. He's got a shorter brown beard. And then normally one of the wise men is younger and has little to no beard. Everybody see that? Now start thinking about your nativity set at home and the beards that are on the nativity set at home. And look at these pictures. A lot of nativity sets have a white beard, a brown beard, and almost no beard on your nativity sets. What else do you notice about some of these pictures for the wise men? How many of you have ever noticed that often the wise men are multi-ethnic? Multi-ethnic. Part of the story becomes that the wise men are from different places. Okay, and so uh, a lot of times Melchior is considered the oldest. He is a king of Persia. He looks more Middle Eastern or sometimes even more Anglo sort of representing Europe. Uh, Kaspar or Gaspar is normally the middle age, and he is normally shown either being from India or sometimes even from China. Okay, So some of your nativity sets may actually have a, a, a wise man that actually looks more Asian. And then, especially later, this younger one, Balthazar, is considered the king of Arabia or sometimes even Ethiopia. That's Africa. And so very often there is an African or a... a, a uh, Magi with black skin, so that everybody see, now these wise men are not only representing the whole world by age, they're also representing the whole world by ethnicity, coming to worship Jesus. And there are many other legends of the Magi. In a couple weeks for Epiphany, I'm going to tell even more stories of the Magi. But, But here's why they became so valuable, and here's why the story and the legend grew. Because the Magi are such a wonderful sort of summary of what Christmas is all about. They recognize that this king, this baby, this child is the king. And along the way, they recognize that Herod, he's not the real king. So there's a recognition of who Jesus really is and and really what Jesus comes to do. And it's people from all kinds of nations and people from all kinds of ages This is not just good news to the Jewish people, it's good news to the world. This is really the first Christian worship service. And so the early church loved the wise men. They thought this is us. This is us coming to worship them and coming to worship Jesus. And so they were fascinated by it and they told stories and they did plays and they carved nativity sets and your nativity sets to this day still have some of these markers. But there's one even one other uh, little interesting question that has always been a wonder for Christians about the story, and that is the star. Many people try to argue that the star is some kind of natural phenomenon. The problem is, it leads to a particular house. Okay, how many of you know what star is directly over your house? Like, I dare you to go home tonight, pick the star that's over your house. And then tell me next week which star, and I'll find your house based on that star. That's crazy. And yet, these Magi are able to find the particular house based on this star. This has always made Christians wonder if this star isn't actually something really miraculous. And in fact, one of the big things they've always wondered is if this star is actually an angel. an angel of light guides them and here's where this gets kind of fun is it still probably shows up in your house because in a lot of houses we have options for tree toppers right the main tree topper is a star which guides everybody to christmas sort of over the top but what's your other option an angel right so even in this room right now if you look over here you're going to see the star most of your nativity sets probably have an angel and the memorial tree that we have in the lobby if you won't see it on the way out it actually has an angel over the top representing this possibility that maybe it was an angel that guided the wise men whatever you think of that the magi see the star they follow the angel they read the signs they make the trip and they worship the king and that's what we do tonight do we recognize him Are we reading the signs? Are we willing to follow?